If you're competitive, if you want to make a lot of money, <laughs> um, if you want to be your own boss, if you want to have um, the ability to navigate situations within the workplace and outside the workplace, you have to learn these skills. Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of What the Heck Do You Do? I'm your host, Carol Dweck of Careers by Carol. And today we have a guest that we've actually had on before, but not as a guest. So we had Ezra Dweck and Richie Mizrahi interview me about what the heck I do. And it's only fair to repay the favor and interview Ezra about what the heck he does. Ezra is very, very knowledgeable when it comes to all things really all things, but all things career. So we're very excited to have him on, not just to talk about his career, but to give us some tips and tricks of his trade, maybe just tips and tricks in general. He's very excited about that. So uh, Ezra, what's doing? Good to be back. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it wasn't really an invite, but we'll uh... I'm excited to jump in. (laughs) I'm excited too. So tell us, what the heck do you do? So I run a uh, real estate consulting company specifically for energy. So it's an energy consulting and supply company. Basically, companies, commercial real estate owners work with me um, and create an income stream for themselves, basically by using a strategy that we implement uh, for landlords across the country. But I'm not going to focus on that for the purpose of this conversation. For the purpose of this conversation, I am in sales. And like every good entrepreneur, I wake up every day and I think about how to grow my company. So all that means is how do I bring in new clients? Um, how do I keep my existing ones? And that's what I think about every single moment of every single day. So that's, I mean, I am in sales. Right. So what is a day-to-day like for somebody in sales? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think, I think um, when I think of that question, I think of sort of just the overall sales funnel, you call it. If you've taken a marketing class, um, there's steps that you take from the beginning to the end in terms of the actual um, sale. And, you know, bigger companies, larger companies may actually segment this out. They may have different people that are devoted to each part of the process. But I think any good salesperson should actually just understand like the full process. So um, it really starts with prospecting. So you take a marketing class, your goal to begin with, and you're starting a company or an entrepreneur, your goal to begin with is to identify your target market. You want to know exactly who your potential client is how big that pool is. You know, obviously if you're starting a company, you wanna make sure that that pool of clients or customers is big enough for it to be a, a, a viable business. Um, and, and to visualize what exactly that looks like. And then prospecting is basically research. So there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways that you could go about this, um, be it LinkedIn or just Googling. You have teams that scrape information from websites to identify what that pool is, what that prospect list is. Um, and then identifying a way to, to contact them. So that's step A, prospecting. Um, so before we go to yeah. step B, I think it's so interesting just to point out that when we think of sales, I mean, at least when I think of sales, and I think most people, you think of getting up on the phone or going mm-hmm. to a client meeting. And what's interesting about what you're saying is that sales actually starts much earlier. You have to understand the vision of your company, who your market is, mm-hmm. who your target audience is, and you have to do all that research before you even get even close to getting in the door. It's huge. And well, you have to have a phone number to know who to call, right? <laughs> right? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's massively important to prospect well, because again, your time as a salesperson is very, very limited and you have to use your time wisely. So 
there are teams, again, devoted to this. Some companies actually outsource this. Um, or you have what's called an inside sales rep whose sole job is to find qualified leads. Um, and it's it's massively important because, again, you want to spend your time wisely on leads that, that actually matter. Um, so that's, that's step A. Mm-hmm. Um, step B is the actual outreach, right? So you mentioned cold calling. That's one tactic of many. So there's cold emailing or warm emailing. There's what's warm uh, emailing. <laughs> you know, it, it, the goal really from a, from an outreach standpoint is to make it as warm as possible. Mm-hmm. When I think of cold calling, um, it, it's a, it's a miserable existence. <laughs> so your goal is really to, to find leads that are as warm as possible. And then the actual outreach, it could come in a number of ways, right? It can come through email. Um, most of the time it's through phone call, but again, it depends on the industry. Uh, it could come through things like LinkedIn, etc. That's really just the outreach stage. Your goal is really just to get the person's attention um, and to make them hear more or, or entice them to hear more. Um, so that's the actual outreach. And that's a huge business in and of itself. There's email marketing companies, campaigns, etc. Um, stage three is really Part the most C. important. Come on, be consistent. Part C, <laughs> which is the most important one, which is the actual meeting or the pitch, the mm-hmm. actual phone conversation. So Again, you have inside sales reps or even business development reps who basically tee up in some companies, tee up the account exec to get on the phone or to get into the meeting and to actually make the pitch to the client or the presentation. Um, so that's really where the magic happens. That's really what, what when, when people think of sales, that's, right. mm-hmm. that's really the main part there. Um, you know, after the meeting, there's next steps. There's a lot of follow-up, which is a huge, it's, it's really an important, important skill for people to understand how to, how to follow up. To basically see the process through to completion, how to close is another whole topic. How to close the deal is huge, um, and then once you have the client, you know account management, client support. Um, you know you're the one who created that relationship in the first place. So for me, my first job out of college, I really occupied all of those different um, pro- parts of the process. I mean, naturally, I I gravitated towards one part of the other, which is basically the actual sale part, the mm-hmm. presentation part, which is what I enjoyed the most. Uh, the rest of them were, were more so, you know, means to an end for me, but, um, but it, it was important for me to actually have the full experience of all of them. I had, I didn't have any account managers after I made the sale, they were my client. I had to service them. And there was a lot of things I learned, a lot of mistakes I made, you know, after I made the, uh, the sale and they were actually my client. Um, so those are the sales process. Again, companies do end up you know, for example, if an account rep uh, makes a sale, he usually just passes it off to an account manager who manages the relationship. But when I think of a day-to-day job, you know, it really, really depends. Um, so it depends on where you are in that sales process for each specific client. Um, so, you know, every day is completely different depending on where you are in that cycle. Right. So before we get into the nitty gritty, and I think that step C is probably the one that's most exciting for most people. You have a very interesting background. You've done so many different jobs, internships and things. So can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into what that process was like for you, how you ultimately landed on sales as something that you really gravitated towards? Yeah. I mean, so we spoke about this during the career uh, focused uh, podcast with Mm -hmm. Carol Dweck as the as the interviewee. But um, so I, I was a little scattered. As a, as a high school student, definitely as a college student, um, you know, I took eight different internships and all these different types of companies, small, large, publicly traded companies and startups and uh, really just trying to find what I enjoy doing. Um, less so about the industry and more so just about task and function and environment. Um, I mean, growing up, I, I, I got to give it to my father. He, uh, 
he really instilled in me and my and my siblings um, the importance of of communication, of written communication. I think specifically, um, he had written a few books on the side, and so we really, I really noticed that that was a strength of mine to 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 start my college career. And I actually majored and then switched to a minor in in journalism, um, and had a marketing degree. So when I finished college, I actually um, kind of fell into an intern uh, an interview where my my position would have been a uh, staff writer. Uh, it was for a marketing company that did events catered to the real estate industry. Um, and I got the job officially. <laughs> and I remember the first day or really the day of the interview, they said, you have the job, but here's some writing samples, you know, take a look and, and, and let us know uh, what you think. And I sat in this cubicle. I remember this very clearly. I sat in this cubicle uh, doing the writing samples and I was good at writing. I enjoyed writing. And I just didn't picture myself working there full time doing this one task. I just didn't, I didn't see it. It was a gut reaction. Um, so I was ready to decline the offer. And I came upon another job, uh, or, or, um, another job description at the same company for a sales rep. And so I asked them, they were actually looking for a sales rep that was way more qualified than me. It was in New York. It was a very important market for them. Um, but they gave me a shot. So I started there my first job out of college as a sales rep in, in the New York market. And that was my first, my first role. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy how many people have sat here and told me that they found their job completely by accident after being right. so confused about what they were doing. And it's just really a lesson to people like try different things. You never know mm-hmm. what's going to stick for you. So, okay. You started your first sales job and was it love at first sight? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you sort of my thinking into why I, uh, went into it. And, and for me, sales and, and really why I got into it and why I enjoy it until today, um, you know, sales really hits on an, a number of points for me that really resonate with me. Um, I think to start, you know, you can't avoid the fact that we do jobs to make money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, can't avoid that fact. So sales positions are the most potential, they're, they're potentially the most lucrative positions in a company, period, right? You could, you could go days, weeks, even months or years without making a sale. So you have to have that risk tolerance to for the for the lows, but the highs are enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, your 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 earnings potential are unlimited. And I've been in companies that the sales reps make more than the CEO. You know, so it's debatable whether they actually bring more value than the CEO. But in terms of earnings potential, it's it's unlimited. That's A. Because of the commission. Because of commission, right. So that's sort of leading to B. So B for me is about more job satisfaction. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very competitive person. You know, I see my name on a leaderboard. I get excited. Um, and I also like the concept of getting what I put in. So I, I'm, especially the, the people that are on strict sales commission jobs, they get what they put in. They put more work into this. You try harder. You make more sales. You get the return. <laughs> you see the dollars. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of satisfaction of knowing you make 10% commission on a sale you make a sale, you type it into your calculator, that's how much money you made. And that's a great feeling. It's instant gratification. And you. And I think a problem for, for a lot of employees, and I'm not trying to put down salaried employees, but salaried employees, they have a hard time translating what they're doing into, into the actual value. Into, you, know, you, you could say you do a good job, you get a raise, you get a promotion. It's a little more indirect. For me, I know that as, as hard as I'm going to work, that's how, that's how much money I'm going to make. And that's a great feeling and it's continually 
motivating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, B slash C. Um, and then I think generally for me, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm happy. I'm, I'm very grateful I'm in this position. Um, I think as a salesperson, I, I looked at it as sort of like a mini entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, because you have a goal. Your goal is to bring in clients, right? It's pretty general. Uh, depending on the company, there, there's usually, I mean, there's, there's managers and they try to help you. They try to teach you things, but you have a goal and your goal can be accomplished in many ways, right? You could spend your, your time in the office basically however you want. Um, so there's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of different techniques, a lot of mistakes you ultimately make. Um, but I like the concept of being your own boss, so to speak, um, and really having that autonomy that a lot of other job types may not have. Um, and then I think the last part is really just like the, the excitement of it. You know, you, you get on a phone call or right before that you get into a meeting and you're in the elevator and you have these butterflies in your stomach. And I think, I really just think every job should have like a butterfly in your stomach moment. Like, I don't know, once a, once a week, once a month, because that means you're doing something that's worth having butterflies. It's something that's risky. It's something that's exciting. So, you know, having that, having those moments is always, 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 uh, always a good feeling. And then. You know, you mentioned, uh, I think on one of our podcasts in the past where it's just novelty. I mean, every sales meeting is completely different. Every account, every client has all these different factors that just make each interaction completely different from one to another. So it's like you're a, you're a, you're a detective and you're just solving the, you're cracking the case and each case is completely different. So there's something just about the novelty of it that every day is completely different um, that makes it exciting. I think all those combined, it was just an easy decision. You know, of course you have to have a certain risk tolerance to do this. So the fact that you can go, uh, like in real estate brokerage, for example, you right. can go months without making a dollar is enough of a, of a, of a risk for people to not get into that space. But for the people who are willing to stomach that it's, it's a very, very rewarding position. If you could, if you could succeed. Yeah. And Erin Wheelock on her episode mentioned very similarly to you that she sees her own um, team of real estate brokers as their own little entrepreneur, you know, like unit, which is very interesting what you said. So I just want to recap some of the things that Ezra said that I think is really great is he's really hitting on the environment and his values when it comes to the environment that he chose in his job that really made it worthwhile for him, right? So getting a job that has high earnings potential, having a job that has a lot of novelty in it and not more like change than stability is what we call it. Um, one where you get autonomy, like you, you're your own boss, you're able to make your own decisions. Um, so many of these things that are more values, but what would you say are some of the skills mm-hmm. that somebody would need to have in order to be a good salesperson? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's something that I think I struggled with for a long time. Um, when I first started my first job at a college, I was, I was struggling. I'll tell you the truth. I mean, I, I was a young kid. I had a lot of enthusiasm, but you know, they, they had really wanted a more seasoned sales rep, um, I, I, I needed time to really understand the real estate. It was a real estate based job. I had to understand the industry, the terms, the lingo, uh, what the pitch even was. Like I was lost for the pers- for the first month, two months, three months for sure. Um, to the point where the company actually tried to move me out of a sales position into a different role. Um, and I stuck to my guns. I said, look guys, I, I know I could do this. Give me some time. I'm going to figure it out. And, and, uh, what I did for the next two, three weeks after that was, uh, we had a sales team of about 15, 20 people at the time. Um, and I sat with the top 
four or five sales reps um, from different parts of the country. I sat in on phone calls. I, I went to some of their meetings and I just trying to figure out what, like, what are they doing? What's the secret here? Um, and what I quickly found out is that sales is, is an art. It's not a science. There's no magic formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Miles in New York was enthusiastic. He was a little aggressive. He pushed his ideas. He had a lot of, uh, a lot of presence. While, you know, Brian in Philadelphia had a little more soft-spoken, let the clients take a little more control in the meetings, and they were both equally successful, right? So I think the point was that, what I learned is that you can have a very, very different style, different skill sets, different strategies, and still be very successful. Um, and I, I just think the, the, so for me at least, I, I took bits and pieces from, mm-hmm. from, from each of those guys. Um, I, I definitely think what it comes down to in general is, is how to... Uh, understand if a client has a problem, has a need, trying to identify that problem. Um, and then really coming to terms with if your, is, is your service, is your product uh, going to add value to their life? Is it going to solve their problem? You have to be really honest with yourself and you have to so- spend a lot of time listening, which, you know, for a sales rep, it's, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I always think about the 80-20 rule. You know, you're supposed to let them talk 80% of the time, use talk 20, which I violate all the time <laughs> because I love to talk, but it, you really want to try to get to that. Um, you want to get to that ratio as, as, or as close to that ratio as much as possible um, to really, to just identify if it's an, if, if what you're doing is not just putting a square peg into a round hole. Um, you know, so a lot of the time it, you, you need information, you know, you could spend time selling a car to somebody and, you know, you're talking up the, the horsepower and how fast the car goes when in reality, all this person wants to know is, well, how safe is the car? What are the airbags? Right. What are the brakes? And the more you talk, the less interested they are because you're not actually appealing to anything they actually care about. Um, so what's the way to know what they care about? You have to get information, right? So I, I think the, the central part of um, a meeting in general is putting yourself in the perspective of the of the, of the customer, of the client, and having a conversation. Uh, now, that's a challenge for a lot of clients because, or customers, prospective customers, because um, you know, they feel that as they give information in these meetings, maybe they, maybe they lose leverage maybe in a negotiation. Maybe, they, like, maybe they're committing to something or they lose autonomy. So information is very closely guarded. Um, so a, a key skill, so to speak, in, as a sales rep, or a key strategy in general is being able to listen, being able to get information. So um, I was I was reading this book um, by this guy Chris Voss. Um, you recommended it to me. Great I, book. Yeah, it's called <laughs> Never Split the Difference. I've mentioned this book so many times that mm-hmm. my I probably should get like a royalty from it. It's it's amazing. Um, so he has a lot of strategies. He's actually a hostage negotiator, mm-hmm. FBI hostage negotiator, and you know he has a lot of tactics on. Um, you know, basically how to just start conversations, how to get information, um, and, and with the goal really of, of, again, not pushing something that doesn't, that doesn't fit, right? So, I mean, for example, he uses a lot of, uh, you know, mirroring tactics, um, you know, asking what or, what or, or how questions versus why, um, trying to basically, uh, again, get information that, that, that leads us back to the question of, okay, am I actually adding value to this person or not? So it's a lot of patience. It's a lot of um, listening. I would say is a big thing, um, uh, and and really just again, just trying to understand: Am I adding value here? This is the main point. 
Yeah, I think it's, again, so counterintuitive. You think of a salesperson, you think of this loud, obnoxious person that's right. shoving something down your throat. And even when I was reading Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, I found it so interesting how so much of what he was saying was so similar to a therapist. And what you're saying right, right. now is so similar to a therapist. You know, you have to have listening skills, patience, and all the tactics that he was learning were the same things that I was learning in graduate school, which is the mirroring, mm-hmm. the empathy, never asking why because it puts people on the defensive and That's they right. don't want to answer That's you. Right, yeah. And this was all stuff that I was learning and you never think of that in terms of sales. I want to ask you something. So uh, I want to just touch on this because when I say I'm in sales, I'm a salesman. Mm-hmm. I just wanna, I'm just curious. What do you what do you think of when I say, oh, this person's in sales or a salesperson, what, do you, what, what adjective do you think of? So it's so funny because I actually watched a documentary a few weeks ago and it said that exact same thing. Everybody thinks of a used car salesman. Every, and give me, it's always a man. Give me an adjective. Oh, right. A so sleazy, a, you're saying. Sleazy, Sleazy right. for sure. So there's actually, so I want, and then the visual is what for yeah, you? Yeah, it's the, the used car salesman with the tacky suit, right, plaid, right, you right. know. So, so there's, uh, for me, there's, I mean, for anybody, there's a, there's a huge, um, you know, there's just a negative connotation with salespeople. There was actually this study they did the top 25 adjectives that people answer that question with. Out of the top 25, 20 of them were negative. Right. Sleazy, aggressive, pushy um, were, you know, were some of them. And, you know, that's something I, I really struggle with because, you know, I'm not trying to be sleazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be aggressive. And, you know, it really comes back to really listening to the client. And I, I've made these mistakes before. I've made mistakes where, especially early on in my career, and when I started my business, um, you know, I was pushing things that I, now I realize that it just it just wasn't, wasn't a fit, it wasn't right. a fit. And mm-hmm. I, I, I know I, I should apologize to those. Some of them were my friends that I went to them and I really pushed something that doesn't doesn't make sense. So the more that I, I and I'm no expert here, just a disclaimer again, I should have started with this. But, um, you know, you know, I, you learn things over the course of your career. And I think for me, a big, big part of this is combating that negative image that I think salespeople have. Um, it's just a job, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, we're all in sales. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there was some research done that 40% of everybody's job, of everybody's day, regardless of what job you are, has sales in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a, you're an employee. You have to sell your ideas or your presentations or your work to your boss. You're a boss. You have to Mm -hmm. sell to your employees to do something. You know, you're a parent. You have to sell to your kid to go to bed. You know, I mean, there's just so many applications where you have to use these skills that I think just labeling someone as a salesperson, as a sleazy used car salesman is something that I never could quite get, you know, get past. And I'm just trying to actively uh, combat that, I think. Yeah. And I think when you reframe it as saying somebody who's listening and empathetic and trying to sort of give you something that solves a problem, it makes a lot more sense why sales might be a parent, a boss, uh, an employer. And I think something that was interesting in the documentary that I saw was that the reason that there's this shift in the salesperson is not necessarily because people don't want to be sleazy anymore. It's sort of like you can't get away with that because consumers are so informed these days. We know so much. It used to be we had to lean on the salesperson to be the expert. Mm -hmm. Now we can be our own expert. Like I have Google and I know, or at least I think I know so many Mm -hmm. more things. And we all think we're so smart. So we think we're smarter than doctors. We go in and we tell them like what the diagnosis should be. Mm -hmm. So really the nature of sales had to change a lot. So I would love if you can give us maybe a few more tactics, things that you found that work. I know you said before, it's kind of not a science, it's a little bit more of an art, but mm-hmm. are there things that, that do work as a whole or things that you found to be really successful? Yeah. I mean, I just want to mention um, what you just said, which is basically clients having or customers having a lot more information. Um, 
than they've ever had before. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the history of sales, um, the, you know, up until what, 15, 20 years ago, the, the salesperson was in a much more advantageous position mm-hmm. because they had all the information. Now it's kind of flipped completely on its head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just find that interesting because you really have, as a salesperson, you have to come at this as a, at a completely different level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, in most cases, you mentioned skills. Um, you know, I think in most, you know, in terms of skill sets, I think um, a lot of it is putting control into the, um, into the customer's hands. You know, you want to, you want to basically have come at this as more of a collaborative experience. Um, you know, whether you're making the pitch or even just, just, you know, finding objections, um, you want to be able to have them come forward with ideas and with, and, and, uh, and, you know, to help that help move that forward. Um, in terms of skills, you know, there's different, I mean, there's different things I could talk to. I mean, I, I, I definitely think the what and the how questions are the main things I lean on. So can you give some examples of that? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think there's a big, like you said, there's a big no-no in sales of, of using the word why. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just because it's ingrained in our heads as kids. You know, you do something wrong and your parents say, oh, why'd you do that? Right. So it, it, immediately the, the, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the gates go up as a, if you're on the other side. Um, you know, so if, if someone says, for example, you know, well, why, uh, you know, I, guys, I think I'm, I'm going to move in a different direction. I'm not going to move forward with you. You know, it's very easy for me to say, well, why not? Right. And that doesn't, it's not mm-hmm. very productive, right? So I think part of it is basically trying to get um, information out before then. So uh, a lot of what I use is, you know, what or how questions. So for example, I'll ask, um, you know, well, well, what are some objections? What are some reasons you wouldn't move forward? Um, you know, especially if it's a person who has to bring this to someone of outside the call, mm-hmm. I think is huge. Um, because as a salesperson, you always want to be in the room. A person outside of the room is very dangerous. Because you don't have any control over that. Any objections that fester that exist in the conversation are going to come out. You know, the person will come back to their, to their actual decision maker and they'll say, you know, it was a good, it was a good, it was a good call. It was a good presentation, but you know, there's X, Y, and Z that's bothering me. And I just don't think it's, I don't think it's a fit. Um, so really getting the questions, getting the objections out, um, in the conversation is, is the biggest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, asking things like, well, how does this affect other people not on this call or, you know, if they say, well, I'm going to have to run this by my team. Well, you're going to, you could say, well, you know, how does this affect them? Or what, again, what, what issues do you think they would have with this? And what always ends up happening is they tell you the issues, which is, is the biggest thing in the world. You know, you want to be in a position to address their concerns, to not have any misconceptions that'll, that'll kill the deals, the deals. And, um, going back to Chris Voss, what he says is that the main part of us of a meeting is trying to identify what he calls Black swan. You got it. Exactly. <laughs> so the black swan for him is um, is something that's hidden. It's something that you didn't know could exist. And it's something that for, for whatever reason is being is being held away from you. That if you could bring this out, if you could understand where this is, what what's holding up a conversation or what's holding up a decision from a customer, then you unlock the whole conversation. So the only way to do that really is to find, is to get, ask, you know, how and what kind of questions is to mirror, is to label. And I could get into some of those, but at the end of the day, you need to get your job as a salesperson is to get all the objections out on the table, have the person collaborate with you. Um, and ultimately, again, going back to the first point, which is ultimately trying to identify 
is this the right fit for this client? Mm-hmm. Do you find that there are different types of personalities of clients that you're dealing with and that you have to sort of navigate based on who they are and how they yeah, operate? It's a great question. So, I mean, as a salesperson, I try to be as flexible as possible. Usually, I don't, I'm not that successful at it. You know, usually you have one style and it works well. Um, I think, you know, for, for the most part, I've seen maybe two or three, and I know there's, there's plenty of studies on this. I've seen maybe two or three types of, um, types of customers or clients. I think one of them is really just the, the detail oriented person. You know, they don't really care about anything else, anything fluffy. They want to know the details. My brother is a good example of this. He works in a real estate private equity firm and he just wants the details. He wants Mm -hmm. the nitty gritty he wants all the details and he's going to put in the time to do that. So that's a situation where you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to give it to him. Um, whereas there are other, other types of customers who they want the high level. They, they don't really need as much information. They're, they're more of a gut decision maker gut mm-hmm. person. Um, there are people that care a lot about relationships. You know, they just want to trust the person. So, you know, you spend time in certain situations um, you know, just catering to that personality type. If you, if they care about more personality, then you spend more time building the relationship. Um, you know, if they, if they're a person who wants to really take control, you let them take control. You again, give them the power to drive the conversation, um, through these kind of more open-ended questions. So there's a lot of different personality types. I think it's very, very important for people to cater to the individual buyer. And I'm sure you've seen this on the, on the psych side as well Mm -hmm. in terms of buyers. Yeah, for sure. And I think, this is the big part of it that maybe we were missing in terms of the skills. It's, it's not just about being eloquent or being able to listen, but it's about really being able to read people and to mm-hmm. react accordingly. And like you said, being flexible in your pitch, not just giving that same, you know, I think of when I think sometimes of the salesperson, I also think of those people who cold call and they have those pre, you know, things. And it's if they say mistake. this, turn to page five and say it's that. Right. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it goes back to like a Dale Carnegie thing. Like, mm-hmm you know, step into the person's shoes. Every single person you, you speak to, even if they're the different people at the same company, are looking for completely different things. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks about what am I going to gain from this? You know, as, as, as cynical as that sounds, right? But at the end of the day, I'm going to buy your product. I'm going to buy your service if it benefits me. So my sales pitch, so to speak, has to be different. If I'm talking to the CEO, you know, maybe I'll say, you can make $100,000 in this, in this, uh, with, with this building with us, and he's going to get excited with that, while a person maybe within his company is probably not going to be excited by that. What they will be excited is maybe me saying, well, it'll save you time. It'll lower your workload. Mm-hmm. It, I have to cater to the person that I'm actually speaking to, right. and, and that's, that's a huge part of sales is really personalizing a specific, uh, a, a specific pitch. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned closing the deal, which I think people take for granted. It's like, I have them, you know, I did all the things right. right. I figured out what they need. So tell us about closing the deal. Yeah. I mean, so for me, again, a lot of it, assuming you have all the information and everything lines up, um, closing the deal for me is about, is about momentum. You know, I think a huge part of, and my partner and I um, argue about this all the time, you know, how do you finish a call I think as a salesperson, your goal is to help the customer buy. So I go back to, um, there's a great podcast called uh, Story Brand. This guy, Donald Miller, um, he, his, whole, his whole philosophy is your pitch, so to speak, shouldn't be a pitch. It shouldn't be, hey, my name is Ezra and I work with commercial real estate owners to help them make money. It's commercial real estate owners work with me to make money for themselves 
and I help them do it, but I'm a side piece, right? So, so his whole thing is create a story. Ideally, it's with a customer that you've done this successfully. That's in their position already. Um, and you say this, you tell them a story, right? You say this customer had a problem and they were struggling with it. They, they started to work with us and, um, this is what they accomplished. This is these are their results. And, uh, now they're happy and now they have this, all the success. Um, so that's sort of the, the story you tell them. I think that at the end, to answer your question, I think what's hugely important is showing them the next steps is really showing them a clear picture of, okay, well now I'm interested. This is a great pitch, but if you finish a pitch and the person says, well, okay, what are the next steps? It's usually not a great sign. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good sign because they're interested, but it doesn't mean it means you didn't fully do your job because you have to I show them, hold their hand to show them exactly how to get this deal done. And if a month goes by, if two months goes by and you finish that phone call and now it's two months later, you're calling the same person, that deal's dead. Right. You know, so a lot of it is keeping the momentum going, showing them step by step how to get it done, keeping everybody accountable. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, tricky trickiness in uh how to follow up you know it's a very very you have to it's a it's a fine line between annoying somebody and and actually following up i don't enjoy the follow-up process as much as the other parts but because it's a it's a thankless job but at the end of the day you want to be able to 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 really show the show the value in the service show them what other clients have done what they've accomplished and then again clearly define what the next steps are and using the all the momentum you have to finally get the deal done to, to, you know, to finish it. Um, and then, you know, post-sale to, to make them happy with their purchase, I think is a huge part of it. There's a lot of buyer's remorse, which you mm-hmm. probably know of. Um, you know, so, so part of my job as a, as a, as an owner of a company is, is to really make sure that they, they, they don't regret their decision, that they're happy, that they refer other clients, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a huge part of it also, but it's, it's really all about that you know, that guiding process to help them, help them, help them accomplish what they're looking to do. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, so many great tips. And, um, I think one of the things that kept coming up that we didn't actually get to talk about is the mistakes. Yeah. So I, it seems like there were a lot, but do you have any that stick out that maybe we can learn from that are a little bit, I don't know. So many, There's so many mistakes. <laughs> Well, I, I think, I think just broadly I've made, I, the biggest mistakes I've made is just, again, just trying to push things that shouldn't be pushed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or, you know, st- or having conversations where I'm talking 99% of the time, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, not fully addressing what's clearly the concerns, not reading people. Well, I think it's a, it's definitely a skill to learn body language. Um, if person's leaning backwards and with their arms folded, they're clearly not interested, (laughs) you know? So a lot of it's just, uh, interpersonal things like understanding when a person's interested or not interested and why they're, why they're, um, why they are or aren't. Um, I don't think I I have any, I mean, there are so many, there are so many mistakes I've made. Um, but I think just in general, it's, it's, it was just early on in my career, it's just the lack of, um, of, of, uh, of really listening to people. I think you're, you're, you know, you're, when you're young, you're excited, you, you want to sell things, you want to perform, you want to accomplish. And so you're, you're just a little bit maybe too enthusiastic and you're not actually uh, listening to people. So I, I think just a, a general key point is just like, you know, listen to your customer. Everybody's different. Um, understand the dynamics in every situation. They're all, they're all different. 
Um, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of a lot of uh, the challenge I think in sales is um, rejection. I was going to ask about yeah, that. How do you huge. grow that thick skin to yeah. be okay to you know get rejected and then keep going, keep going? Yeah, I mean, so it's huge. It's mm-hmm. huge. Um, when I think of skills, when you mentioned skills, it's resilience. I think is it's right up there. Um, you know, you mentioned real estate brokers. I think there's some stat that's like 90% of real estate brokers like fail within the first year or something. It's it's some ridiculous stat. So, I mean, as a salesperson, you really have to have a lot of mental mental strength. It's a mental game. Um, and I think a lot of the, going back to your question of mistakes, I think some of the mistakes I made early on, not actually like actions itself, but just taking rejection too personally. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think as a salesperson, you have to really just see it as a big picture. You can't take every rejection as like a personal attack or, you know, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with you as a human being necessarily, right? They're just not interested in the service. And if you play the numbers game, you look at this, at this as a broad level. These are my goals. This is how many clients I have to talk to in order to get that goal. You brush it off, right? So a lot of, a lot of sales is, is, is really just keeping your motivation. So, mm-hmm. you know, it helps if you have a team. It helps if you have a partner. Um, you know, it helps if you keep your goals sort of in sight, broad scale goals. And mm-hmm. then you know that each of these different rejections is just going like, to help you learn. I think at the end of the day, like I've had so much rejection um, that I know that it's just free education at this point, right? Like I know what, what not to do in certain situations, what when a client's telling me, something, what it really means, you know? Um, and I, I, I try to brush it off as, as easily as possible. Now, I mean, I'm not in a position like some of these like cold callers where right. they literally get rejected by me included. I get so many cold <laughs> calls and I, I feel bad at, at a certain point, but like those guys get, mm-hmm. you know, they get killed. But like for me, I, it's, it's less often than that. But I think a huge part of sales is just like being able to just brush things off keep moving, motivate yourself every day. It's just a huge part of it. Yeah. And I guess adjacent to that, my question would be, because um, it seems like you're talking about this a little bit, failure. Like, how do you get so good with failure to be able to say this is a learning experience for me as opposed to like some sort of thing that I did wrong? It's hard. You know, it's it's really just me brainwashing myself. I, I know I probably did things wrong in many situations, but you're not going to win them all. There's just too many variables. There's too many black swans. You know, the person could be, they could be saying all the right things, but, you know, there's just something like they're working with their cousin's nephew that if they do the deal with you, then their cousin's nephew is going to go out of business. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things that, you know, you might not see it at, at the present moment. Um, I have had so many situations where we've, we've had meetings very, it seemed to be very, very positive, right? The person's nodding, they're saying yes. And then we never get the deal done or they, they, we just had a situation just now where it's a big company. The person said yes throughout. We mocked up the agreement. He has all, he has legal counsel uh, writing the comments for the agreement to the point where we finish the comments and then he disappears. Ghosted. Ghosted. <laughs> How do you explain that? So I, I you know, I, I, I try not to take it personally. Obviously it's disappointing, but uh, I've had situations where We've gone through a year sales cycle. The person's asked thousands of questions and they don't end up uh, following through. And then I find out, I actually, this actually happened to me. There was, there was a client who I was speaking to in 2018 
who didn't end up moving forward. I couldn't understand why. And I found out two years later that, you know, again, the bot, the, his CEO was working with somebody that he was related to. It actually happened. And by him moving forward with me, that would jeopardize that relationship. He couldn't tell me that. Right. I'm, I'm still not really sure why, um, you know, people have a, such a hard time actually being honest with why you're rejecting me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so helpful as a salesperson to know why you're, they're not moving forward. It's a hugely valuable piece of information if, if you could try to get that out. Um, but, you know, th- there's just so many situations that you just really can't take it personally. Um, you got to keep the, again, the, the, the high level views in sight. Um, and you know, whether you find out later on what actually happened, it kind of is, it's refreshing for you because you know that it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. There's just so many situations that just are out of your hands. Right. And sometimes it is your fault. And like you said, I love this and I'm going to reiterate it, free education. And I love that way of looking (laughs) at it and like reframing it and saying, because I think the bigger failure is not if you try something and you don't succeed. It's more if you do something and you don't succeed and then you don't learn from it. That's like the big failure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I, I could think of one example. I mean, I I used to send uh, email campaigns, and and um, I used to use this template. I used to say, "Hi, first name." Right. This is my uh, <laughs> event coming up. I hope you sponsor it, and you're supposed to replace the first name with their actual first yeah. name. And I um I forgot to do that, so <laughs> I sent out over a hundred emails that had "Hello, first name," and. Uh, that didn't work out so well. So, you know, there's just different, you know, I was 22 years <laughs> old. So relatable. I forgive myself, but at the time, you know, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough situation. All right. Love this. So much concrete advice and useful things. I think, again, not only for salespeople, but just relationships in general, any job that you're in. And I think breaking that idea of the used car salesman and sort of changing it to that listener, that 80 20, that, I don't know, just all these things that we spoke about. Um, really reconceptualize what a salesperson is. And I think that we all have realized that we can take this entire day to day, no matter what we're doing, no matter what job we're in, whether we're working with coworkers or clients or just even in our interpersonal relationships, it's so, so, so important. So end us off with um, some last advice, words of wisdom from Ezra. Where's the wisdom? I think uh, sales is, is, a, is, a, is a high risk, high reward position to be in. Um, but again, it, 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 for me, it hit on all the, all the right points. If you're competitive, if you want to make a lot of money, <laughs> um, if you want to be your own boss, if you want to have um, the ability to navigate situations within the workplace and outside the workplace, you have to learn these skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so I know you've heard you've asked maybe questions in the past podcast of like what classes you should take or mm-hmm. what. You know, I always I always enjoyed like public speaking classes. Right. I always like try to even even non public speaking classes try to you know take classes and be the one to be the presenter. I know that was just my personality, but, um, you know, try to put yourself in situations where you're, you're dealing with people. Um, definitely check out Chris Voss's book. Cause I, I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, you know, think of yourself, um, think of, th- think of a sales position as a way, as a mini entrepreneur. It's such a, it's such a flexible, high upside position that I think, um, I think it just has huge upside, huge upside. And it's, it's massively rewarding. So, I mean, my parting wisdom advice is if you're in sales, keep at it. You know, it's definitely a tough job at certain points. There's definitely some lows, but there's nothing that feels as good as the rush of like closing a deal and having a satisfied customer and and meeting with a client and building relationships. I I think a a part of the COVID downside here is that 
you know, I miss the in-person meetings. Mm-hmm. I miss actually building relationships, shaking a person's hand, you know, having true friendships with some of my clients. I think I definitely miss that part of it. Um, but you know, overall, I think it's a it's a great position to to, to add value to companies, uh, add value to people, build relationships, um, and and, uh, and have a very valuable, have a very uh, you know, a very enriching uh, position, enriching life. Right, and I guess the other part of that is if you're not in sales, then you should be in sales <laughs> because it's great. If you're not in sales, you're already in sales. <laughs> you're already in sales, point. and you don't realize it. I love that. All right, so I know we did this on the last podcast, but where can our listeners find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can find me uh, through email. Uh, my company's name is Grid Power Direct. Um, happy to discuss how our company helps uh, landlords create income streams uh, for their buildings. Um, and uh, I don't know if Carl's going to give out my cell phone number, but uh, I'd rather not. So <laughs> this is the website, and uh, happy to speak to anybody who needs any, uh, any advice or is looking for help. All right, Ezra, thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining this episode of What the Heck Do You Do? We really hope you enjoyed and that you will rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. But more importantly, if you have a job or career that people just don't understand, please email us at whattheheckdoyoudo at gmail.com with your job title and a quick description of what the heck you do. Until next time.